Glory to God. Good to see you here today on this church picnic Sunday. We're going to be over in John chapter 21. Have you ever reached that point in your Christian walk where you've become discouraged from doing what God has said to do? From doing what God has shown you to do? That the call of God on your life has been hard doing what the promises of, of God in His Word it seems to be getting difficult. We expected to have a fight from the enemy. We didn't expect to have a fight from people who were supposed to be on our side. I didn't expect to be fighting so much inside myself. When we're trying to enact permanent change, permanent change to the things that have been going on in our life, and we walk in a way to try and get that to go on in our, our life now, Many times we face battles we weren't anticipating. We face discouragement we didn't know would come. And we wonder, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to go on? So we're going to look at a story today. Some people who went through that exact same thing. They became discouraged. They wanted to quit. Generally, folks, whenever we want to quit, whenever we get discouraged, we want to go back to something. Back to something that we had. The devil's always trying to do this to us. If you get discouraged in your marriage, you think of an old girlfriend or boyfriend. How it was so much easier with them. If you get discouraged with your kids, you think about the days when you didn't have any. If you get discouraged on your job, you think about the days when you had one that you liked better. The devil always is trying to get us to go backwards. Go back to something that we once had. Because that's why things are sad. That's why things aren't the way they are. It's not a new tactic. It's nothing that you're facing that's unique. It's in the Word. John chapter 21 and verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Now, if you show yourself to someone again, that means you already showed yourself to them before. So understand that at this point in the narrative of John, Jesus has already shown himself to his disciples. This is after his death and resurrection. He has already died. They already went through all that. And he's been resurrected. He came and showed up with his resurrected body and did just what he said. Taught them... Again, hey, I said I was supposed to die. After three days, I would be raised again. I told you that. So now they have all that. And you would think that at this point, how many of you would be encouraged? How many of you would be glad Jesus is resurrected? We didn't go through all that for nothing. Well, that doesn't describe what happened. In verse 2, Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples, two, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, why are they going fishing? Jesus has just shown up. He's been resurrected. 
He did what He said He was going to do. And they left fishing, didn't they? Remember when Jesus was saying, teaching them about it's hard for rich people to go to heaven? And they were kind of shocked because most of them are rich people. Well, who can be saved? We've left everything and followed you. What about us? And Jesus had some encouraging words for them. But they had a lot of things. They had left their fishing business to follow Jesus. They left it. Now Peter's going to go back to it. So here's the thing. If we are facing a discouragement in our call, if we are facing a discouragement in battling sickness and disease, if we're facing discouragement in battling pain, and we hear what the Word of God says, the Word of God says I can be pain-free. The Word of God says I can be sickness and disease-free. The Word of God says these things about me. And yet, I'm feeling discouraged. As Brother Jolly was talking about today and the worship team was singing, I can do all things. And we hear that and we believe that, but then we get out there and we're facing some things and it looks like there's some things I can't do. How am I supposed to overcome these things when it seems like I can't do them? And we get discouraged and we get down. And what we want to do is either give up or go back to what worked before. There's the disciples. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the ones that were with them said, we're going too. We are going with you also. Let's go. So this is Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of the eleven. That's all but four. They're all ready to go back and go fishing. This has been tough. Now, the last couple of weeks, we were looking at the, the binding and loosing. That the binding and loosing that we do is not by me saying, I bind this or I loose this. But our binding and loosing that we do is by the actions that we do. I bind up forgiveness when I don't forgive. I bind up mercy when I don't, don't extend mercy. I loose forgiveness when I, when I forgive others. I loose mercy when I walk in mercy. So whatever it is that we are walking in, we loose in heaven. And it comes down upon us. We looked at many people in the, in the Word. David was one. We saw that he continually walked in faithfulness, even though the people around him were not faithful. How hard is it to be faithful, to be forgiving, to give mercy, when the people around you are not doing the same? When you're not receiving it from people. But there's a difference between it being loosed in heaven and being loosed on earth. Now, we all, we talked about this part. We like to have it loosed on earth. I want to be able to receive from other people when I need it. But God can't make anyone do it because he said he would not. So just because someone doesn't step up and do what you need and extend the forgiveness, the mercy, the, the whatever it might be that, that you expect to come, God says, well, if they won't do it, I'll find another. And if they won't do it, what's he going to do? He's going to find another. And what's he going to do if they don't do it? He's going to find another. But don't go down here on earth getting all down and depressed and saying, well, I guess this doesn't work. Because see, this is what the accuser of the brethren is going to do. And we talked about his job and the things that he does. He's going to become sitting on your shoulder and saying, at least one of his kingdom is going to be, this stuff doesn't work. Why do you stay faithful? 
Why do you continue on? Look at what people are doing to you. Look at how people are treating you. Look at these things that are going on around. There's no reason for you to keep on going. Just give up. Just quit. God doesn't tell you to quit. The enemy does. Because he wants you to stop. Now generally the reason he wants you to stop is because it's probably doing something that you can't see. And if he can get you to stop, he can stop that from happening. So, disciples are discouraged. I'm going fishing. That means I'm going to stop doing what we have been doing. I'm going to pick up what I used to do. That's the question a lot of times we ask. What do I do now? I seem to have done everything. What do I do now? Was the time I gave to walking in faith? Was the time I gave to watching my words? Having a good confession? Was the time I gave doing these particular things? Was it useless? Was it pointless? Because I'll know better. You start asking these kind of questions, you are creating a fertile ground for the wrong things to come up. A fertile ground for these things to come in. And the enemy just loves to come on in on this and say, all right, we've got some great stuff to work with here. Let's begin to to sow these things. Let's begin to speak these things and we receive them a whole lot better. You've got to be careful. You've got to be watchful. The enemy is coming around. He's going to try and discourage you. He's going to try and get you to quit doing the things you're supposed to be doing. I put this in your outline for you. Satan constantly is trying to get us to question, first off, God's purpose. This hasn't come about. Does God really have a purpose for you? Do you really like God's purpose for you? Do you really want to walk in God's purpose? It's been hard. It's been tough going. Do you really want to walk in God's purpose if this is what it is? He'll try and get you to question God's plan. All right, God may have a purpose for you, but he's got no plan to get you there. Or you won't like the plan. Remember, Jesus didn't like the plan. He asked God for a different plan. He's going to try and get you to question God's plan. He's going to try and get you to question God's punctuality. I mean, if you're really believing, if you're really in faith, shouldn't this happen by now? Shouldn't this have gone on? Why are you still waiting? Why is it still going on? Abraham waited how long? 24 years he was waiting on the promise of God to come. And we looked at some of the things that were going on that kept that from coming. It wasn't God's desire. God desired it. God willed it. God wanted it. God spoke it. But see, the problem was Abraham. Abraham Abraham kept having the conversations that weren't helpful. He kept having conversations with with his wife. Boy, I thought you were pregnant. Oh, I thought I was too. I was so counting on it that time. Mm, I can't believe that it, it didn't happen. I'm so discouraged. Oh, I'm discouraged too. Discouraged people find each other and they talk about their discouragements with each other. I'm so discouraged. Oh, I'm so discouraged too. doesn't help us, but we feel better because <laughs> we're, we're discouraged. Then they began to have conversations uh, along these lines. These are not conversations of faith. These are not conversations that brought about the promise of God. These are conversations that took us down the wrong direction. When pain becomes a dominant part of our life, we begin to talk about the pain. Oh, it just hurts so so much. Oh, it hurts so bad. 
Oh, this is going. Oh, I can't believe this. Oh, and it's just, it's so hard. It's so difficult. I, I have uh, seen a few, and you probably have heard people say this too. I'm sure no one here has said that, but other places you have probably heard this. Oh God, if you can just take away half the pain, I can deal with the rest of it. If you can just take away a little bit of the pain. Nah, we gotta, we gotta be careful about this. So we, we question God's punctuality. We question God's word. Has God really said? We question God's word. Is this healing stuff really for today? Does God really care that much about me? I mean, really, I'm nobody. Is this call really something God needs? We question God's word. We question God's love. Remember the disciples down in the boat when they came down and woke them up? Thought the boat was going down. What did they say? Master, do you not care? Don't you love us? Do you not care? He's going to get you to question this. And lastly, but this certainly is not the end of the list. You can keep on writing other things. He's going to get you to question God's gifts. Has God really gifted you? Has God really put these things upon you? I mean, if God really gifted you, wouldn't it be going this way? Wouldn't this be happening this way? We question these things. Verse 4. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, Jesus has that ability, apparently in his new body. He has that ability to stand right in front of you and you not know who he is. And then all of a sudden, let the light be turned on and know who he is. He can do that. Remember, he was in the room. They were all eating. Then all of a sudden, he let them know who he was. So he's standing on the shore. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? In other words, did you catch anything? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now we're not going to do this here today, but I'll tell you one of the most, such a fun thing to do is to take the first miraculous catch and compare it with the second miraculous catch. Because some of the things that are very different from that. In the first one, Jesus used the boat and then said, cast out into the sea and then drop down your nets. And in the first one, they dropped down a net because they were cleaning them and they only got the, the, the one net in there that they didn't mind if it got dirty again. But on this one, they're already working. They're already out there doing some, some things. They're out there toiling and trying to catch fish and they have toiled all night and they've caught nothing. Nothing at all. And so Jesus says to these professional fishermen who have been doing this most of their life, cast the net on the other side of the boat. Apparently all the fish are on that side. I don't know if that was starboard or what kind of way it was, but cast your your net on the other side of the boat. Now, if you were a typical fisherman, what would you begin to say to this? Amateur. That the fish are on one side of the boat, the fish are on the other side of the boat. And we've been at this all night. The boat has been moving around. The right side of the boat is not always the right side of the boat. We've moved around quite a bit. There's a lot of logical reasons why you should not do this. Why you should laugh this off. 
But they've been at this all night. All night they've been going at this thing and have caught nothing. They'd like to at least get something. So he says, cast it on the other side. I guess they figure, what else we got to lose? Remember, they don't recognize it's Jesus yet. If they knew it was Jesus, what would they have done? Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll catch it in the front of the boat if you want. You say, well, you tell me what you want to do. Casting that on the right side of the boat. See, Jesus doesn't even know that in a boat you don't have a right side. You have starboard, and what's the other side called? Port. You got aft, and you got... Other, they don't call it front, back, left, right. They don't do that. Cast it on the, the right side. Well, obviously, whatever side they were casting on, he said, put it on the other side. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. We didn't just get some. We got a multitude of fish. Filled the nets up with fish. But where were all these fish at? Why is it the fish are not working? Now, does Jesus not want them fishing? Is it the will of God that they not be fishing? Well, if it's the will of God that they not be fishing, why would he tell them to put the net on the other side and catch some fish? Why not say, you all are missing it? You shouldn't be out there fishing. That's why you're not catching any fish. Wouldn't you think that's what he would say? If God was preventing the fish from getting in the net, then he's just messing with them. He's just playing with them. Is that the kind of God we serve? But it's not, it's not working. Now, he's not changing what they're doing, is he? They're still doing the same thing. All he is doing is he tweaked what they were already doing. Here's the thing with us Christians. Many of us have been doing the right things. But we're not listening when our Father says, tweak it. Just a little bit. Just change it just a little. I, you're going the right... You need, to make this, you need to make this little change. He didn't say go to another part of the lake. He didn't say get a different boat. He didn't say your nets are the wrong kind of nets. All he said was, put it on the other side. It's such a small change, it doesn't even seem to make sense. But they were at it and at it and at it and at it and at it. Were they learning anything? Were they being developed for greater ministry? Not as far as we can tell. They're out there fishing and didn't catch anything at all. And then Jesus says, put on the right side of the boat and you will find some. He doesn't just say, why don't you try the other side of the boat see if there's anything there. He says, put on the other side of the boat, the right side of the boat, and you will find some. He just tweaked it just a little bit. Now, in the first miracle, when they went and caught something, he got them to start something new. They, hadn't, they were not out there on the water. They were in cleaning their, their nets. He says, stop this and go start that. But on this one, they're just making an adjustment. 
You see, many of us, we have a confession of faith. We're feeding on the Word. We're declaring things that be not as though they were. But we're not quite seeing the change yet. But see, what the Spirit of God is going to try and do is trying to tweak what it is that you're doing. Because even though the outward appearance is you're fishing, there's a little tweak that you've got to do to make what you're doing function and work. Now, it's not the, the Father that's keeping them fishing from being in a net. It's not what He's going around doing. We've got to go on and see the rest of this story here. going to be over verse 7. See, we believe the Word. I believe the Word of God is true, but my words will have a certain tone of doubt about them. I can't even pick it up that they have a little bit of doubt about them. But my words have a little bit of doubt about them as I speak to them. I can't hear it, but other people can. Now, some of you folks that are here have watched people golf or have golfed yourself. I have not. I am not a golfer. I take the, um, you know, little putt putt courses, and I go out there and there, and uh, whack that ball around. And sometimes I get a hole in one, and sometimes I get a hole in seven. <laughs> Seven's not good. I don't care which one you're on. Seven is never a good number in the area of miniature golf. Generally, it's two, three, four. Once in a while, you might find one that is five, not seven. Seven's not good. I've probably even gone beyond seven. Have you ever played miniature golf and you're out there playing it and after seven, eight, nine, you say, forget this and you just put it in the hole and go on to the next one. (laughs) I am not a golfer. I have taken the ball out on the driving range. The driving range is great because if you miss, it's no big deal. You know, you put that ball down, you ever been down, down to a driving range? You put that ball in the little stand there and you just whack it. If it don't go straight, it don't matter. There's another ball right behind it. And I don't have to go anywhere. I stand right here. If I send that ball way off, slice it and it goes way off to the side, I don't got to chase it. Doesn't mess up my rest of the day for the rest of the... No, I just pull another ball out of the bucket, put it down on there, and hit that one. <laughs> That's great. But those guys who stand on the, the one hole, hit that ball two, three hundred feet down, and then go get it. And then hit it to the next one. And they could follow all 18 holes all the way around. That would frustrate me because I don't know how to do the game. But you get somebody who knows how to, how to do this and they can, they can do things better. Now, I know uh, one of the guys, I like to listen to Rush Limbaugh, and he, every once in a while he talks about his golf game. And he was talking about this one time he was teamed up with a, with a pro and he was the amateur in there. And as they were going around, they're, they're golfing and uh, he wasn't doing all that great. And the guy said to him, just one thing to, he said to him. He says, you know, you're not keeping... I, I think this is the way he said it. it. And if you're a golfer and you know that this is wrong, then he said it differently. But I think this is the way he said it. He says, you're not keeping your weight on the back foot. And he made that one adjustment and his game soared. He just, for, that, for those uh, nine, uh, 18 holes that he was doing, the game just took off. Just that one little thing. He didn't even see it. He was still doing the same stuff, still whacking the ball just as hard, still aiming the same way. But all he did was he changed the weight of his foot and the whole thing was was better. One little tweak. Jesus did one little tweak for these guys. 
and it changed the game. And they went from catching nothing to catching enough. That was, it, was a, it was a good night's work. And they just did it on one. One time, tossing those nets in. He just tweaked it. So you can't always hear the doubt and unbelief tone that you got. Somebody else probably can. Maybe we care for people, but our frustration is what people hear. I love people. I just don't want to deal with any of them. Right? That's not quite so good. I have an anointing. Why don't people see that and believe it? John chapter 21, verse 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we all know who that is, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Very perceptive. Very perceptive right there. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. So Peter, this is what John's telling us. Peter's a little dense. He didn't get it. But when I told him that it was the Lord, then he understood, oh, it's the Lord. <laughs> now, now John's description of what Peter did didn't stop there. There's just a little bit of a tone going on here with what John's doing with Peter. Just a little bit of a tone. I saw it first. I told Peter about this. And after I did, Peter put on his outer garment and plunged into the sea. All right. Now, after we have church today, we're going to have a church picnic and some people are going to go into the pool. I understand not everyone is going to the pool, but some people are going to go into the pool. So I want you to imagine this. Most people, when they go into the pool, they wear a particular type of clothing. It is called a bathing suit. And we do that because of the way the bathing suit deals with the water. Very few times have you ever seen somebody who's ready to jump into the pool put on an outer garment and jump in the pool. The reason he took the outer garment off is because he's working and it was hot. So he took the outer garment off. He is so mixed up right now that he decides to put the outer garment back on and then jump in the water. This is what John's telling us. He didn't know who it was. He didn't know what was going on. And then when I finally enlightened him about what was happening, he puts on his outer garment and jumps in the water to swim for the, for the shore. Now, this is not in here, but I can just, I, I can feel John, I, would, I want to write this. I want to write this, and he didn't write it. The rest of us dealt with the fish and brought the boats into the shore like we were supposed to do. <laughs> Peter jumps in the water. <laughs> now we'll have to get up to heaven to find out if that's what John was thinking. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and the fish laid on it and bread. And fish laid on it and bread. And fish laid on it. What, did Peter put a couple of fish in his, in his uh, pockets? 
Where did the fish come from? Jesus did not have them catch all that fish so they would all have something to eat because apparently he didn't need them to get the fish. But even though he didn't need them to get the fish, he still helped them get fish. But I don't need what you got. We already got fish. They're already on the fire. They're already cooking. But he says, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Now remember, we were having problems with a broken net before. We discussed why that was. But Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. <laughs> Jesus then came back and took the bread and gave it to them and, other, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples. Third time. Which means there were two times before. Not just once, but twice. Since he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Now, we've told you this before, that in the Greek, it says the first time Jesus, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a, with a God kind of love? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you with a phileo, a brotherly type of love, lower love. He says on the second time, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He's not trying to be dishonest. Remember before? Jesus said, you're going to deny me? I won't deny you. Well, Peter, not only are you going to deny me, you're going to deny me three times. No, uh Everybody else might deny you, not me. So, he knows that Jesus knows what's going on. So, he's not going to try and, and pull this one over. He says, I'd like to be able to say that I, I got by you, but I'm just in the phileo area right now. And the third time, he says to him, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you phileo me? And Peter said, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Now we're reading that because I want you to see this particular thing. They had gone through three and a half years with Jesus. Jesus died. He showed up to him two times. But discouragement was still part of them. And they said, I'm going back to what I did before. I'm giving up on this ministry stuff. I'm going back to what I did before. I'm going to pick up on fishing. And so not only did Jesus say to him three times, do you love me? But he gave him a commission each time. He said to him, first off, feed my lambs. Now lambs are baby sheep. The first commission he gave him was, Peter, I want you to take the lambs, the little ones, the young ones. I want you to take those and I want you to feed them. The second time, he says, tend my sheep. Which means the older ones, 
The first thing he had given for the old ones to do was to tend them, to be a shepherd to them, to guide them, to have them go in the right places, going in the, the right direction. Feed the lambs, tend the sheep. The third time he said to him, feed the sheep. Three commissions he gave to Peter. First off, feed my lambs. These are mine, Peter. I need you to feed them. They're young, but I need you to feed them. Secondly, tend my sheep. The grown-up ones in the flock, I need you to watch over them. I need you to tend them. I need you to shepherd them. And the third time he says, feed the sheep. So the first thing was feed the lambs. You see, you feed lambs differently than you feed sheep. And then even in a church, you feed young Christians differently than you feed older, ex- experienced Christians. It's a different, different type of feeding that you, that you do. You make adjustments for it. Sometimes when I'm up here, if I know that there's younger Christians in the crowd, I adjust some things. If that's not there, I adjust them in a, in a different direction. But he gave them three things. I want you to notice them again. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He does not say, fish my waters. He doesn't say that. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He's given them a commission to go into ministry, to stay in ministry, and to not leave it. Peter had left it. He was discouraged. You wonder, how can you get discouraged? Jesus just rose from the dead. But he was discouraged and along with at least six others. Then he has this prophecy over him. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will, will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now he said that he would be bound up in the end and Peter was bound up at the end. In fact, he was even crucified. But he's telling them, I want you to go on. I want you to stay in the ministry. I want you to continue on. You are, you are what I need. I need you out there. I need you feeding the lambs. I need you tending the sheep. And I need you feeding the sheep. That's what I need you to do. Now get out there. Leave these fish alone. Even though he helped them catch fish. 153 to be precise. If you ever wonder, how did he know that there's 153 fish? Now John's the one writing this, this book. He's one of the ones who went fishing. How did they know that there was 153 fish? Did they look at it and they're so good at this? They say, that's about... Say 153. No, they counted them. Why would they count the fish? Because they took them to the market to sell them. (laughs) I mean, hey, they caught them. They didn't just set them free. Took them over to the market to sell them. Now, Peter has a reaction that many of us have a reaction for, especially if we get a prophecy from God we don't like. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. 
who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So he spent all those words just to identify this is John. I mean, come on, John. Can't we just say, then Peter turned around and saw John. Can't we just say that? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Here's the thing, folks. When we get into doing what God has called us to do, we're in the ministry, we're doing whatever ministry it is, whatever call we have, we're out there, we're doing what God says. And we hear what God says to do and we get discouraged and God brings us back and puts us back on the path and we're going after this thing again. You know what happens on the inside? We begin to look around and say, what about that calling? I like that one better. What about this one? If I have to die, what's going to happen to him? Because I want to know... He knows what's going to happen to me. I want to know what's going to happen to him. Is he going to die? Is he going to die too? Jesus didn't... You don't need to know that. It doesn't matter if he stays here until I come again or if he doesn't. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you do what God said to do. See, a lot of times, Christians, we, we get discouraged at doing what God says to do. And we blame other people's unfaithfulness. We blame other people's attitudes. We blame other people's faith failures for why we're not continuing on confessing the word. Why we're not continuing on believing God for the miracle. We blame other well, It didn't work for them, God. How is it that you expect me to keep on going? It didn't work for them. They died believing you. I heard one person who was ministering on this and said, you know, uh, they were ministering to somebody on this thing. He said, what if I die believing God? He said, what better way to go? I'd rather die believing God for something that I didn't quite get there on than die in doubt and unbelief. Besides, if you died believing God, doing the best that you knew to do, believing God, and you died, where would you go? In heaven. It's, it's not bad up there, I hear. I hear it's okay. You might actually like it. Might actually be glad that you're there. It's easy for us to not like our role, to get discouraged of what it is that we're doing. It's easy for Joseph to say, I don't like being a slave. I didn't, I didn't sign up for service for the Lord to become a slave. And then when he became a prisoner, I didn't sign up for this. How is it that a heathen's words stood against me and the truth didn't went out? How did I end up here? And he came discouraged. We talked about him before. It was Joseph last week. But he didn't. He stayed on. He stayed faithful. In, this, in the... Uh, in the house of Potiphar, in the prison. He stayed faithful. He continued to go on. No idea how this was going to change. I mean, how could you have an idea that you're going to be promoted out of prison to the second highest ruler in the land in 24 hours? That'd be pretty tough to to come by. But he stayed faithful. Stay faithful with what it is you're doing. Don't let the enemy discourage you. And not just in the call of God, we're talking about doing the things of God. If you're having a faith confession, stay with it. 
See, there's a difference between people who try having a faith confession and those people who actually believe it. Those people who actually believe it aren't trying it. They're not waking up in the morning. All right, well, I'm going to give this thing another try. I'm going to speak to this pain. I'm going to speak to this sickness and disease. I'm going to speak to this condition. And uh, we'll just see how, we, how it goes today. And we begin to speak to that. Understand that you may say all the right things, but you've got that little bit of doubt undertone. And the enemy knows he don't have to listen. Just go over to the book of Acts. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. <laughs> that didn't work out so well, did it? Well, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? They beat him up. They said the same things. They heard what Paul said. They said the same things. Just because you're saying the same thing doesn't mean that it's working the same way. Because you might have that little bit of doubt and unbelief going on. Well, I would like it to be this way. Then the, then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But it, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Now John's the last guy to die of the disciples. And they tried to kill him as you've heard before. They just weren't successful. You can see why that rumor would start. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Alright, so here's the thing folks. When we get discouraged we go back to what we used to do or what we thought would work. We talked before about the lawnmower. You know, people kicking the lawnmower, banging the blender, trying to get it to work. It's not in the manual, but we try it out anyway. Here are some of the things that we go back to when we are facing a situation. Sickness and disease, pain, uh, finance, whatever it is that we're facing. We want to see a change brought about on that condition. Here's one of the things that we will go back to. We will multiply people praying. We will multiply people praying. How, how many times? Now, don't raise your hand on this one in case anyone here has ever done it. But how many times have you faced a sickness, disease, pain, situation, financial need, whatever it might be, and you're, playing, you're standing and believing God for it to change and it's not changing, so you go out and you get two or three others and it's not changing, so you go out and get ten or twelve others and it's not changing, so you go out and you put things on Facebook. Please, everybody, pray for me. Help me. Please say a prayer for me. And we, get, we want to get 100. We want to get 200. We want to get 500 people praying for us. Why? The only reason that we want to get more people involved in praying is I think that God will find out that it's worthwhile Him doing if enough people ask Him. God just doesn't think I'm worthwhile just yet. But maybe if some other people will ask Him, Maybe we're thinking that, well, I haven't gotten to a place of faith this and all the 20 people that I have praying for me, they haven't gotten to a place of faithfulness. So maybe if I just get a hundred other people, one of us will get to the place where we can reach God. Is there any verse in Scripture, any indication that the more people you have praying on a situation, the greater success you'll have? How many people were praying when Lazarus was raised from the dead? It's a trick question. 
There was no one praying. Go back to the story. There was not a single person who prayed. Jesus prayed at the tomb. He said, Father, I thank you that you hear me always. But I say this not for you, but for the benefit of the people listening. And then he stopped praying. And then what did he do? Lazarus, come forth. How is it that we got the notion that the more people we have praying for us, the greater of a chance we have of succeeding? And yet if we face difficulty, one of the things we try and do is to get more people to pray. There are some situations where it's helpful to have multiple people praying. But in the Word of God, sickness and disease is not one of those things. But how many of us know we fall back on that? Let's multiply the people praying. James 5.16 Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, he doesn't say you have to pray for them to be healed. He just says pray for them. Folks, you ought to go out there and you'll be praying for other people. How many times was Paul out there praying for the church? Continually on a regular basis. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's, he's talking about the prayer of one person. Avails much. Get yourself into a place of being effective and fervent in prayer. Anybody know what that word effective means? Some stuff I'm working on for the future here can help us out with that. We're not going to get into that here today. Here's the other one. We'll multiply hands laid on us. Here's what we do. We go into this meeting. I'm going to have hands laid on me that this sickness and disease, that this pain goes away, that this condition changes. We go up there. We have hands laid on us and we come out of the meeting. No, that didn't change it. All right. What's the next meeting I can go to? And we go and we find another meeting. And we get in that meeting. And we get hands laid on us. Well, no, that didn't change anything. I guess I better go find another meeting. See, we multiply this. Because we're not putting any faith into it. We're just going to, to see what happens. We multiply petitions. We ask God for it more often. Father God, you, you know, I need to be healed. Father God, I, I need this pain to go away. Hello? Anyone there? I, 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 we multiply our request. As if God's not hearing us. See, the, all these things move us from a place of faith or close to faith and they move us into a place of unbelief. Here's the last one. We just do what works for another. Well, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so said they did this. So I'm going to do this. They said this in their prayer. I'm going to say that. We go back to things we used to do, things we're comfortable doing things that other people did, we don't stay with what we've learned in the Word. We don't stay with it. Do what the Bible instructs. Here's some of the things that the Bible instructs. These are, should all be things that you all know. First off, take in the Word. Take in the Word. The foremost thing on your priority list on a regular daily basis is I need the Word of God coming to me. I need to hear it I need to meditate on it. I can't just get opinions of the Word. I need to know what is the Word saying to me. The big trend in this country 
if you listen to the churches, you listen to things that are going on around, the big trend in this country is to get away from teaching the Bible. I've listened to many a podcast, many a church service to find some to, that are worthwhile listening to. Many times I've gone through an entire 45-minute hour service and they did not open up the Bible. They talked about it. But they did not open it. Some of those that are opening it, they open the Bible, they read it, and then they give their opinions for the next 45 minutes on what that verse means. Thank God we still have some people out there that like to preach the Word and teach the Word. There may be people out there who, who uh, hold up Brother Creflo Dollar and say he's no good for this and he's no good for that. I don't. Does he teach the Word? I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to listen to some stupid critic tries to tell me that he shouldn't be buying airplanes or jet planes or whatever it is that he's, he's doing. Ridiculous. Does he teach the Word? I'm going to listen to it. I got other people. They teach the Word. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen to it. I don't listen to critics. If you don't teach the Word... I'll, I'll give you once, twice, three times. And I even have some. I could tell you their names. I've looked some of them up. They were some of my instructors at Rama in the early 80s. Ones that we used to hang on their words. And I found some of them teaching in churches, listened to their podcasts, and never once opened the Bible. These are people who sat under Brother Hagin, folks. These are people that were the, the ones that Brother Hagin relied on. Don't think you can get away from the, that. You can. Don't think that you are immune from this. I know I am not immune because I've seen some people that were bigger in ministry than I ever have been as far as knowing and stuff like that that have fallen from it and are no longer teaching the Word. Take in the word. Don't just if you start listening to watered down word, your life it'll take a little while. It won't happen right off the bat. You will have a watered down walk. Your expectation will go down. It's hard. We've had people come into this church and leave because they said it's too hard living that faith walk. I remember one not too, not too long ago. They said, we get abuse from our relatives because we believe in this stuff. We have family gatherings. They pick on us because we believe in faith. Understand there's going to be abuse. There's going to be things. But take in the word. It's got to be one of the most... And this is, this is, I have not stopped. Every single day... I look at what word am I taking in today? I'm going to. Re- I'll, I'll even grab something from Brother Hagin that I've heard 10, 15 times, and I'll listen to it again because I know I'm in a better place spiritually, at least sure hope so, than I was before, and I can hear something that I didn't hear before. The Spirit of God can speak something to me, and it can, it can help me out. It can grow me up. Keep taking in the word. You've got to take in that word. The rest of it don't work if you don't do it. Stand in faith. Faith grows because of the Word. You're not going to stand in faith if you don't take in the Word. But stand in faith. Don't just try this stuff. Make the stand. This is where I'm going to stand. I don't care if I die. I'm standing on this faith. This is what I'm going to do. Have Word thoughts. 
We talked about that in this series. The, the things of your thoughts. Have word thoughts. We all know our thoughts can go wrong directions. And we can begin to think, well, I was feeling that, that pain. I was feeling that my body felt a little funny yesterday. I wonder what that is. And we Google it. We find out, oh, it could be this. It could be what will happen if it's that. Oh, I could die. Those are not word thoughts. Don't, don't be having those kind of thoughts. When the devil wants to feed you thoughts that you're going to die, you're going to perish, you're, just laugh at them. Have word thoughts. Think on things that the Word of God has put in you. Constantly think on that. If you are trying to change a condition in your life, you must have thoughts that go along with that change of condition. You've got to see yourself constantly with a change of that condition. If you keep seeing yourself with that same condition going on, that's why it's still going on. Abraham did not see himself changing. And until he finally got to that spot, when God came down and changed his name to Abraham, his conversations changed. He had different conversations in his family. He had different conversations with the people around him. And then things really started to change. Have word thoughts. Guard your thoughts. Guard them. It's so important that you protect those thoughts. Don't have bad thoughts about the people that you work with. Don't have bad thoughts about the people that are close to you. Don't let the accuser of the brethren come and sow accusations against them that you entertain in your mind because you will tear down relationships that you need that are designed to help you. We were out at some place, and I was just looking out at a bunch of large numbers of people just kind of walking on through, and I was just watching some of them. You know, your eyes kind of get drawn to certain people. And I'm drawn to certain people, and I, I noticed this one young man. His walk wasn't right. His expressions weren't right. You could just see this person is caught up in some sins. And it just changed the way that he ordered his behavior. I could see all that without even having to talk with him. How do you have to talk to him? I said, I was talking, having this conversation with God. I says, God, it amazes me that the way we live our life affects everything from our posture to our expressions to the way that we deal with other people. It affects everything. It's so important, folks. So important. How you walk. There was another group of people we saw. Four boys in this family. And they were rambunctious. And they were having a good time. But they were boys. They were all within a year or two of each other and they just fed off of each other's energy. Have you ever been around that? Four brothers, a year or two difference, just feed off of each other. And we were watching them. They were kind of out of control. And our thought was, I wonder where the parents are. And then the dad came. 
He's big. Big guy. Came on down there. And he came and he done, he took control of all four of those boys instantly. And I just watched the way that this dad carried himself. I says, Oh, I like the way he carries himself. I like the way he's he the way he's dealing with these boys. He's not coming down on them for being boys, but he's corralling them. He's bringing them. I like this. And don't you know we were up in a, a spot and I ran into them. <laughs> so I said, well, this is cool. I got no nothing to do right now. I got at least five minutes. So I went over and I talked to him. He says, I enjoyed your boys watching them out there. He just laughed at me. He says, yeah, you did. Because <laughs> uh, our, our little granddaughter was over there. She was playing with them. And uh, he said, oh, granddaughter just had a great time just playing with your boys. And I said, uh, told him some stories. We were tra- talking back and forth and uh, just had a wonderful conversation about this. I got to, got to talk to him a little bit more. He's exactly what I thought he was. He was very well grounded. How you think, what kind of words you bring in, it changes everything about your life. But you won't notice it by yourself. But it will even change your posture and the way you stand. Change the expressions on your face. It will alter all those things in a good way. Take in the word. Have word thoughts. Conversations in line with your beliefs. Have conversations in line with your beliefs. Just as Abraham needed to have conversations in line with his beliefs. You need to have conversations that are in line with that. If you have conversations like this. Well, I don't know what's wrong. Oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. I don't know what's wrong. I don't think anybody will ever find out what's wrong with me. I've gone here, I've gone there, I've gone to all these. No one can tell me what's wrong. I'm so discouraged. You have conversations like that, guess what your direction is? You see, but people have these conversations. You know where they're going to go from there? They're going to get in front of their Christian friends and they go, I'm believing God for this to change. I believe that this is, that I'm healed. And they'll have those conversations with, with, with those words, but their conversations are different. Have conversations that come in and talk about the goodness of God, the things that are, that are going on. Not about your aches and pains. Have conversations in line with your beliefs. Speak words from faith, not hope. And by hope, I mean a wishing hope, not the hope of the Word of God. Speak words from faith, not hope. Be careful of every one of your words. I tell you folks, as careful as we are with our words, we can be more careful. If you listen to me talk, you will notice that there are a number of expressions that are not in my vocabulary. I don't ever, I hardly ever make it a point. I don't even think, I'll tell you a few, I don't think I've ever made it a point about this, but how many have ever heard the expression, to be perfectly honest with you? I will guarantee that none of you have ever heard me say those words in any of the time I have been here. Any of the time I've known you, I've never said, well, to be totally honest with you. You know why? Because I believe that every time that I speak, I am honest with you. So why do I qualify it? Now, it's, people don't mean it. They're not mean, I'm, I'm saying this because I'm not lying this time. That's not what they mean. It's just a phrase that we picked up. That people have picked up. It's just a phrase we pick up and we say. Well, I'll be honest with you. Why, just think it. Why am I saying that? I don't know. Well, then stop it. 
I'm not saying I'm perfect in this. There, probably, there might be some phrases that I got on and somebody will, will say, why are you saying that? I don't know. <laughs> and work it out of the conversation. Just be watchful. You're going to have some of those phrases and just ask yourself, why am I saying that? What am I saying about the rest of my conversation? Have you heard those people go, knock on wood? They say something and they don't want something bad to happen to them so they knock on wood. If you don't know the foundation for that phraseology, if you knew the foundation, you would never use that word ever, ever, if you knew it. Because it, uh, it's not a good foundation for that. But I've heard Christian people, I and mean, they shock me. I know the foundation. I hear them say, Christian people, solid in faith, knock on wood. I almost cringe inside. I said, like, oh. <laughs> almost, almost, I've never heard anybody here ever say that. It's the only thing I'm, I'm thinking about any, any of that. But we've got to be careful about that. Speak words from faith. Not wishing. Some people say, well, I know I'm healed. What they're saying is, well, I wish I was healed. Oh, I really hope this thing goes away. I'm not sure that it's ever going to, but I really want it to go away. That's what they're saying. They're not saying... I know I'm healed. We're not saying that. Speak words from faith, not that wishing hope. Listen to your words. You are better off speaking less than speaking more. If you're not sure, keep your mouth shut. How many of y'all know Peter could have used that advice? If you're not sure, keep your mouth shut. There's the last one. Maintain your love walk. Maintain your love walk. It takes maintenance. You've got to continue to believe the best in people that are around you. You've got to continue to love them, forgive them, help them. Even the people that hurt you. The Word of God says, the heathen help those who help them, who help them back. You're supposed to be Christians. You're supposed to be something different. Help those who hurt you. Maintain your love walk. Don't let the unfaithfulness of other people move you into a place of unfaithfulness. Don't let the lack of mercy on other people move you into a place of lack of mercy. Don't let what is going on with other people come and affect you. And Joseph is just a phenomenal example of that. Because Joseph was around some really low-life people in prison. But he did not let them affect him. Sometimes we look at our situations and we say, well, if I could just get out of this workplace and around from out of, away from these people, then I will enjoy work again. Then I will be happy. But you know what? You need to learn to be happy wherever it is that you are. Whatever people that are around you. Because until we learn the lesson that the people that are around me do not affect me in that way, your life will stay much the same. You've got to have it that the Spirit of God on the inside of you and the Word of God on the inside of you affects you more than anything else. And no matter what the people are doing around you, it doesn't change you. If you want permanent change to go on in your life, it's not changing the surroundings that you're in. It's changing what's going on on the inside. And you may be doing some of the things we talked about. And the Spirit of God may come upon you and give you a little tweak 
and say, cast the net on the other side. Just tweak it. You're doing fine. You're out there on the water. You're in the right spot. You're doing the right thing. It's not working. But cast your net on the other side. Just tweak it a little bit. Just change it. Might be your expectation. Might be your words. Might be your thoughts. Somehow, just a little change is all we need. See, most Christians, when they're on the boat, and they put the net in all night long, and they didn't catch anything, you know what most people want to do? I need a bigger boat. I need a bigger lake. I need different nets. I need to get more. I need to get better workers because these guys, these guys are junk. They don't know what they're doing. So if I get new employees, new boats, a new lake, and new nets, then it will work. But Jesus didn't replace who was on the boats. He didn't replace the boats. He didn't replace the nets. He didn't replace the lake. On the same spot. And he took them from a place of faltering to a place of flourishing. Much the same way that Joseph went from a place of no one knowing him to a place of rulership overnight. Listen to the voice of God. He's going to be speaking to you if you're listening. And he's going to offer you a couple of different tweaks. Just change this. And it may seem completely ridiculous. What do you mean put it on the other side of the boat? It doesn't even make sense. But if you do what the Spirit of God says to do, it changes your situation. Would you all stand up for me? Father, we thank you. You are here to help us. You are here to grow us up. You are here to show us how we can go from toiling all night and catching nothing to by one simple change catch 153 fish. Father, we're listening. We're ready to hear. And you're ready to speak to us. Small, simple changes. Take what we are already doing and just tweak it. Our ears are perked. We're ready to hear. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. This morning is our communion Sunday. Ask our ushers to come forward. Thank you, Rick. As they come around, you to take the bread and the juice. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he said, Do this in remembrance of me. Because he knew we would forget. We have to stay in remembrance because it is so easy to forget. So on the night that he was betrayed, having already told them about his death, his burial, 
and his resurrection. And they had already forgotten it and became discouraged when he died, not even looking for him on the third day. But he told them this. Remember what I'm doing for you. That up on the cross, it doesn't need to be done again for us. It just needs to be in our memory. We need to be reminded. So before supper, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. The body of Jesus Christ was beaten, was bruised, it was broken. Not the bones, his bones were not broken. The Word of God is very clear on that. But he was beaten. He did that so that we would not have to. Sickness and disease, they do not need to be part of our life. We need to simply come to a place of belief in that very thing that Jesus did. As we are together here this this morning, let's remember the work that Jesus did on that cross. He had us in mind that he was redeeming those who had already lived, those who were alive, and those whose lives had not even started yet. Let's eat together and remember the body of Jesus Christ broken for us. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the new blood of the new covenant. That covenant that is an improvement over the old one. The old one, blood was always shed. But on this new one, one time Jesus' blood was shed. One time for us. And there was enough that all of our sins are forgiven. And we are redeemed. No matter how many sins we did, Jesus' blood was enough. Don't ever let the enemy tell you. Was it enough for you? It was plenty. It was more than enough. Let's drink together and remember, all I need for forgiveness is what Jesus has already done. I just received that. Let's receive it together. have some praise reports. I believe I saw some and some, some prayer requests. We'll go over here at the end. If the area of discouragement is anything that ministers to you, you're facing some discouragement in your life, and I know it's not for some folks here, it's Wednesday night are not always like they can make it out, but if you can make it out this Wednesday, we're going to look at John the Baptist because there was a point in his life where discouragement came. We're going to look at how that discouragement came. We're going to look at how, how shocking that that discouragement came at all. And some things to help get out of it. Because Jesus had some words that we can learn from to help us to get out of that kind of discouragement. And that's going to be on Wednesday. All right, some praise reports here. First one was from Ethel. 
She is praising God for the wisdom from God to stop running alone in the wildlife reserve. <laughs> all right, that's going to be a story probably for the church picnic. Now, let's thank God for all things for his protection this morning from an accident when someone decided to change a turn and drive directly in our path. Wow. Glory to God for that. It is nice when we get to see that God has certainly had his hand in traffic situations and situations that keep us safe. But glory to God, even if you don't see it, <laughs> even if you don't see it, it's, it's still there. Marguerite asked us uh, to pray. Her mom is um, uh, in the hospital right now. She was in there, admitted her about 1 a.m. last night, I think you said. And she is asking for prayer, for agreement. Let me read it uh, right out here for you. She asked that we, her, her church family, agree that my mom will be agreeable to the best plan of action for her and also continue direction for less than myself. Now, I know what she means by, by, she's not saying that God will change her will, but that she would see the wisdom in what the doctors are saying and go along with it instead of fighting it. Because <laughs> there's been a lot of fighting going on in, inside of her. So we can pray for that wisdom just to be, be seen by her. And, she, and they accept the, the plan that's, that's going on there. Um, my mom had a prayer request in for, uh, she had pain in her back. Is that, is that better now? No? All right. Well, if you want hands laid on you, come on up here to the, to the front. Let's all stand up. Ray took Angela to the ER this morning. She was, uh, they were both battling bronchitis this week, and her breathing got bad enough that uh, she agreed to go to the ER. So he took uh, her to the ER. I, I asked him to, to send me a note how things were going, and uh, no note has come. So there must be either no news just yet, or they uh, didn't get around to, to send it. So... We're at the church picnic. If I get anything from them, I'll let you all know. But Angela was heading over to the um, to the ER for that. Jim uh, left early. His his back was getting in trouble this morning. He's been having a lot of pain. He had an MRI done this week that showed absolutely nothing. And um, we're, we prayed together that whatever it is that's causing his pain would just come to light and would be seen. So that's, uh, let's pray for these things. Father God, we thank you that you hear us every time we pray. All we need to do is pray in faith and that opens the door for you to be able to do the things that you said you want to do. So Father, we thank you for working in this situation with Les and Marguerite that her mom will hear the wisdom that is spoken to her and she will change from her normal way of doing things and adapt so that this situation that she's been going through these weeks will also change and get better. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you, Father, for the wisdom that the doctors have with Jim. And Father, for Jim, you just speak to him down in his spirit what it is that's going on. Not to depend on the other people that are around to hear, but Father, your spirit will speak to his spirit and tell him the very thing that is going on so that he can walk into the doctor's office and say, check this out, this is what it is. I thank you, Father, for the way that you do things there. We give you the glory and praise for it. We thank you, Father, that you are with Ray and Angela. And as we already agreed in prayer together, the sickness and disease has no part in our household and health for all their days. And Father, that, that sickness and disease 
is not standing in their house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've already told you about Wednesday. Church picnic is going on. If you don't know where you're going, follow somebody. If that doesn't work, I'll give you the um, address and you can put it in your GPS and head on over. But um, we'll be heading over to our house. We are going to have a baptismal service in the beginning. We have uh, at least two. There's there a few other people, but I didn't see them here this morning. So we have at least two people who are going to be baptized. And so that we're, we're going to start that off. The pool won't be open until the baptismal service is over. And then the kids can jump in the pool and, and do whatever they want. If you don't want to go out there and swim, that's fine. Just come on out and sit around and fellowship. Get to know people around you. And enjoy that. We have the, the food. The, the meat is, is all there. And we'll have that, that cooking for you. If you want to bring a salad, dessert, something along those lines, that's, that's great. Uh, we didn't bring any of those. We just have the meat and the drinks that are there. Anything else you all want to bring along is, is fine. Uh, if you uh, see me on the way out, I'm not hanging out here for too long. I have to get over there and do some, some things on it as well. But see me on the way out if you um, uh, need help getting there. Oh, yes. I was, we, 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 had, we, we, said about, <laughs> we said about that before, but around this is our last Sunday here. How many people are not going to be able to make it over to the picnic? Yeah, you were probably wouldn't be, sh- be sure. But this is Arah's last uh, time here. And so we're going to kind of do that over the over the church picnic because it's a little more in, informal there. But if you are not able to go make out to the church picnic, please. Uh, she, she can be home for Christmas, maybe some other things, whatever we can uh, drag her home from. She's just going over to Ohio, but uh, we are sure sad to, to see her go. But let's pray over her before she before she goes. Come on up here to the front. Father God, we just thank you that the wisdom of God follows her every place that she goes. That Father, just as she has touched us here, she will touch the folks that are out there. And that, Father, you will minister to them through her. I just thank you, Father, for whatever, wherever it is that you lead her to and the people that you have her in contact with, she will be a blessing to them, and we thank you for it. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give her as she furthers this education to get the things that she needs to go into the direction that you have shown her to go and that her mind is able to comprehend and understand all the things that will be thrown at her. And she is more than able and she is an overcomer. We thank you for it, Father. We also thank you for a good trip out there. A safe trip, a good move in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Now, I don't know how long she's going to stay out there. When are you leaving now? Are you leaving tomorrow? Oh, so you're here for a few more days. All right. Before we were talking, it sounded like she might be leaving right after the picnic, <laughs> or at least that Monday morning. But I was going to hang out for a little bit more. So. Uh, head on up. If you don't have know where you're going, make sure you see me, and I need to see.